This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. The most influential cities in the world will drive 100% of global innovation. 100% of the global cities in the world will drive innovation. That's a, a bold prediction, but if you think about it, uh, this, the cities, major cities of the world, New York, Tokyo, um, Rio de Janeiro, those are cities that, that create trends and they create movements. And those are the type of cities where innovation will, will spring from. And so, consequently, that if we look at the world and we want to really reach the world for Christ, we really want to change culture, identifying cities is one of the most important things we can do. Let's raise up incredible Christ-exalting churches in global centers. And if we can change cities, we can change the world. Well, this strategy is not any different than what Paul did. Because Paul would visit and start churches in the most strategic cities of the world in his day. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some key cities that are in our Bible. And we are going to learn about these and hopefully learn a little bit about ourselves. I figured it's summer, and so summer is a time that we can learn. So today, we're going to talk about the city of Corinth. And on the back of your bulletin, it's a place to take notes. I'm going to give a couple of organizational points later on in the teaching. And this is a teaching, so, um, you know, it's going to be maybe a little different style than, than I typically do. Um, but I want you to learn to be able to uh, accumulate some knowledge. But in the end, we want to transfer the knowledge to wisdom. How do you apply this knowledge to your life? And how are we going to apply this knowledge to our church? Because there's a particular reason that God uh, has chosen through our church fathers to canonize the book of 1 Corinthians and the book of 2 Corinthians. And those were letters specifically to the church in Corinth, Greece. Sometimes we forget that when we're reading the Bible, we forget the context of it because we're used to just taking a verse here and taking a verse there and... and um, those standalone verses have meaning to us, but there's a context to where these verses were given or this letter was giving and given and, and the people that Paul were speaking to were specific people. It was a real church. It was a real city and cities have personalities. Hendersonville has a very distinct personality. It's a, there's a real entertainment culture here because we have a history of Used to be country music stars lived here and there's this idea of we want to be entertained. Let's go to the lake. Let's let's hear country music. Let's uh, let's be entertained. And sometimes that spills over into our how we look at churches. That's part of our personality. Gallatin as a county seat has a distinct personality. The seat of power in our county. Goodlettsville being divided between two counties has two personalities, a Sumner County side, a Davidson County side. And those personalities affect attitudes and it affects the way we live. And so it was uh, with the ancient city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was a big city. It was a big city of 500,000 people. And for 2000 years ago, uh, that's incredible to have 500,000 people. And I'll show you where it is. I'm going to show you a map 
And for those of you who like geography, which uh, statistically is a very small percentage of you. But here is a map of Corinth. And I'm very excited about something because something I didn't know I had the capability to do. And this is just a new toy. This could be dangerous. This is a groundbreaking Sunday. So watch out and just put on your seatbelts here. But I have a laser pointer. All right. Now, the ramifications of this is great because see, uh, Pastor Doug Bagwell right there, you know, if you, if you nod off, I got you right there. I can laser point you. So, you know, you just, if you nod off, I'm going to grab this thing and then hopefully that will get your attention. Uh, but uh, Corinth, as you see through my handy laser, my early 1990s technology that is now catching up to us, uh, is, is located right here on what is a land bridge. The reason this is important, this little area was about four miles uh, wide. So over, over here is Rome or Italy and the ships instead of going way around here to enter the Eastern world. They would come through this port, go over a land bridge. And that made Corinth a very important place because of that. About 150 years before Jesus came, the Romans got they, the Roman empire got really nervous and they thought Corinth is getting too big. And so like all earthly power, that is corrupted does they had this great idea let's go attack them let's go uh demolish the city so in 146 bc uh they went and completely destroyed corinth and scattered the 500,000 residents but because there it was so strategically located that just by the time paul came around just a hundred and 200 years later, really, or 100 years later, 150 years later, my math's off, uh, the city had grown back to the size that it was originally. So it was back up to a city of 500,000 in 44 B.C. Julius Caesar had decided, hey, we're going to repopulate this. And so he would send freed slaves there. He sent uh, some of the Italians who were conquered. Uh, and then now we have here in the city of Corinth, this city that just grew up really fast. So it wasn't old. It was new money and new money is different than old money. New money is different because people haven't had it. Now, before we won't keep the map up forever, I do want to point out one thing and then we'll, we'll just see where Athens is. This is about 40 miles. So Corinth is about 40 miles from Athens. And see, Athens, if you if you if, if there's a word to describe Athens, it would be wisdom, earthly wisdom, that is. But Athens was the educational seat of power. And there was old money there. So Athens was sophisticated. And it was old money. And it was educated people. And so, because of that, people in Corinth were always wondering, what, did the, what are the Athenians doing? What is popular in Athens? We, we, we want to be like them. You know, Corinth kind of reminds me of Baltimore. Baltimore, it's uh, in the shadow of Washington, D.C., and it's in the it's in the shadow of New York City. And it's just they're kind of in, you know, insecure. I know some of you are from that area and, you know, they don't really have their own identity. At least at least America doesn't recognize their own identity because they're overshadowed by D.C. and overshadowed by New York City. But yet it's this very culturally rich City, And that's kind of how Corinth was. It was a little insecure. So obviously we're going to look at a lot of scriptures from first and second Corinthians today. But before we do that, let's go to Acts, Acts chapter 17. Now, in Acts chapter 17, Paul, I, I've taught on this before. It's a remarkable chapter. Paul 
talks to the Athenians. He's in Athens. He's among the people who are smart and wise and educated. And so he comes to them and he reasons with them. And if you have time later to read all of Acts 17, it's a remarkable passage. Uh, and Paul goes to the seat of education, the seat of wisdom, and he intellectually debates with those who are in Athens. And now we'll pick up here at the end of chapter 17. And, and you'll see that the, the results were not um, that effective. And, and starting with verse 2, after Paul had talked to the people in Athens... He said, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. So you see here that that's very common, you know, that the uh, the education, uh, the the elitist in the ivory towers of education often will sneer at Christianity and, and specifically the resurrection. You know, people will accept Jesus, but they don't often accept the resurrected Jesus. And so, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject, just like the gospel often is. It is often received with mixed reviews. At that, Paul left the council and some of the people, again, notice in verse 34, some of the people, this was not overwhelming success. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. And among them, he goes on to list several names. Now let's go on over to uh, chapter 18, verse 1. There's a reason we're, we're setting up this background. After this, Paul left Athens and went to where? Corinth. All right. Now, remember, Corinth has a very insecure attitude towards Athens. But now I want us to go to the book of 1 Corinthians. I want you to turn there if you have your Bibles. And and I want to note this right now, that this morning we are not going to look at 1 Athens and 2 Athenians. Or 1 Athenians and 2 Athenians. There is no canonical, recognized, or, or known book, to my knowledge, To the church in Athens. But there is two letters. There's really three, but two letters that we have to the church at Corinth. I want to say this because even though the people of Corinth, the Corinthians, were insecure thinking, what what's going on in Athens? What are the Athenians believing? God still had a plan for Corinth. See, God has a plan for specific cities. He has a plan for specific peoples. That's, that's why we need to ch- plant churches in the global centers of the world. We need to plant churches in the rural communities where there's not gospel representation. Because God defines, and we find out earlier in Acts 17, he places people in, in specific boundaries for a reason. And we need to take the gospel there and take the church there. And God had a plan for Corinth. He had, a, he had a plan for Corinth. Paul, uh, no doubt, was discouraged. No doubt was discouraged because when he was in Athens, some believe, but not everybody. Just some believe. And so now we go, and he's, he's in Corinth, and I want us to look at, at chapter, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to give you lots of scripture today. All right? Hey, it's summer. I want you to learn In the month of August, in our New Testament Bible reading plan, we're going to be reading 1 Corinthians. So this teaching today is setting groundwork. It's going to help you understand uh, what the Spirit is trying to say through that passage. Now, now remember, the reason I showed you Acts 18.1, because Paul left Athens, the seat of power, to go to Corinth. And now he writes this to Corinth, and he says this. 
And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. Who's looking for that? The people in Athens in Acts 17. As I proclaim you the testimony about God. Going on, he says in verse 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now look at verse 3. I came to you in weakness with great fear, with weakness and fear and with much trembling. So he was saying, look, look, I came to you, perhaps discouraged. I came to you with fear and trembling. And I didn't bring to you the wisdom of Athens. I brought to you the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to just duplicate to you earthly wisdom. I'm here to bring power. Now let's look at verse 4. He goes on and says, my message and my preaching, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. My message and my preaching We're not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So you, Corinthians, those of you who are in Corinth, we're not here looking for the latest intellectual trend and looking for human wisdom. I'm coming here in fear and trembling. I just was at the seat of power. I was in Athens and now I've come to you with fear and trembling saying, I cannot persuade you with human words, but I'm going to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. And here I am to demonstrate the intangible, what God can only do. And so that's one of the lessons that we learn. So how does this apply to you? There's there's three thoughts that I want to give to you today as we're learning about Corinth. And here's the first thing I want you to write down. This is the more diverse. The more unity needed. That's on the back of your bulletin. The more diverse, the more unity needed here at this bottleneck of a city. It was not unlike how America has been and is now. Multi-cultures, multiple cultures are coming together. Corinth was a melting pot. It was a place of new money. It was a place of wealth, but the wealth hadn't been there long. And because of that, uh, because there were so many different people, there were people there from different nations and different religious backgrounds and different experiences. And that is a beautiful thing in the sight of God, because that's what heaven's going to be like. But with that comes problems. And you just need to be aware of that. And that's going to be something we need to know about today because God has called us to be, an, and we are, an interdenominational church. Which meaning we all have different streams that we come from. We all have different backgrounds. Some of you used to be Baptist. Some of you used to be Catholic. Some of you used to be Pentecostal. Some of you used to be Southern Baptist and maybe you still hold to some of those traditions. Some of you were Nazarene. Some of you were Church of Christ. Some of you were Episcopal and our church. We don't believe any of those movements are wrong or or it's wrong to be part of those. We have just the Lord has made us a blend of all those coming together. And with that great diversity, you just need to know right now that you're not going to agree with everything I preach and I'm not going to agree with everything You believe, but yet God in his wisdom has called us together. And that's one of the message messages to the church of Corinth. Here it was this truly diverse people. Now, they weren't just diverse in denominational backgrounds. I mean, that's easy. Like I could list the different denominational backgrounds. They were diverse in just some horrific sins. I mean, 
when you think Corinth, I know I already compared it to Baltimore in a way, but it's a mix between Baltimore and Las Vegas because there was a lot of bad stuff going on in Corinth. In fact, one of the terms, the historical terms associated with Corinth is that you can go, young men would be told, go to Corinth to be Corinthianized, which I won't go any further. You can go look that up in the dictionary yourself, uh, that it is just a, a term greatly associated with sexual immorality. There was prostitution uh, going on all over the place in that city. We're going to deal with that later on in this teaching. But here it is, and we look at the passage, and you can get just kind of a, I don't know, just kind of a flavor with a type of people that were in this particular church. Look at chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Lots of scripture we're going to read together today. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now, Paul is, is writing to the church at Corinth that he feels a need to write out what some wicked things are. You know, 15 years ago, I'm like, why do you have to list all these sins? Now, I realize here in America, people need to read these type of lists because people don't know any longer what sin is. So here it is. Paul, as he wrote to Corinth, says, neither the sexually immoral or adulterers nor adulterers nor male prostitutes nor homosexual offenders nor thieves nor the greedy nor the drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's, that's, that's the word of God right there. So sinful behavior opposed to the holiness of God. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at verse 11. This is really interesting. And that is what some of you were. <laughs> so now we know from this list that in this church, in this church located in Corinth, there were people who used to be homosexual And used to be male prostitutes. Notice the fact they used to be. That's what some of you were. There were people who had been in adulterous relationships. There were people who had worshipped idols. This was not uh, a squeaky squeaky clean gathering of church church people. Of VBS graduates. Okay? Thank God for VBS graduates. I'm one of those. But this particular church was a church of people with really, really sinful, salty backgrounds. And he goes on and says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So if you imagine, if you imagine in that list, you, you have a church full of former homosexuals, former, former male prostitutes. You have a church full of people who used to worship idols. You have a church that's really messy because it's full of people who committed adultery. And on top of that, Geographically, you're in a city where you have people from every type of nation, every type of background. You have uh, the Romans had totally abolished this Greek city, and now they had sent many of their slaves. And so you had a lot of uh, national conflict all happening right there. Lots and lots of chance for conflict. Lots and lots of chance for things to go wrong. That's why we look at going back to, to chapter one. Look at the first Corinthians chapter one, verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another. Now, now think about the backdrop of where they are at. Completely different backgrounds, completely different experiences in this young city with new money that they're uh, 
very immoral, very loose morals. I appeal to you to agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. See, what's so important that you need to understand this is that if you're in your company, in your business, in this uh, world with many cultures, the more diversity there is, the more people have to be on the same page. The more people have to be united. And so it is with us as a church. We have to love unity here. You have to decide that you're going to love unity more than you love your opinion. You have to decide beforehand you're going to love unity more than you love your right to be heard. You're going to love unity more than you love your knowledge because knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And you can write this passage down. We don't have time to read it, but that's why 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the most beautiful passage about the body of Christ. And there in, in then it says, hey, we're a unit. The body's a unit. There's many parts, but we operate together. Why? Because this was a very diverse church. And because of that, they needed incredible unity. The other thing that's interesting about the church in Corinth is that it was a free, loose church. There's a lot of freedom. Let's look at chapter 14. Now, we learn uh, really outside of the book of Acts, the, the church of Corinth is the only, only book that talks about the charisma gifts, the power gifts of the Holy Spirit. The nine power gifts is what I like to refer to them as. Um, heal, gifts of healing, gifts of Tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, uh, discerning of spirits. The interesting thing is the only reason that we have record of those gifts biblically functioning in the church is because the church at Corinth messed them up. Uh, They did not function properly. So Paul wrote them and said, listen, you're going to have to bring some order to the gifts. You're going to bring some order to the gifts. And so it was a corrective letter. And as he corrected them, because he corrected them, we have the knowledge of those gifts today. Now, uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, going with the starting with verse 26. It says this, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, everyone has a hymn. How could you imagine that? We started church and everyone just brought their own song here. That works well with about, you know, 40 people and under. I don't would say it works well, but now because we all like the uh, we all like the power of a larger church, it would just be really harsh, if it hard, very difficult if everyone brought a hymn. So everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. All of these must be done. For the strengthening of the church. So in other words, if you like a song, that song better strengthen the whole church. Because just because you like it and you enjoy singing it, but if it doesn't go well and doesn't strengthen the church, uh, the church service doesn't exist for you to use your gift, for you to um, use your gift for your own edification. It exists for all of us to benefit. So what, what sh- if anyone speaks in tongues... This is real practical teaching. Two or three at the most should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. I just want to say here, that's why 
uh, in my uh, the, the way I read the word of God is that if someone's up here and they ever start speaking in a tongue, just using their private prayer language in a public service and there's no interpretation, they're out of order. That's what I've always believed uh, and believe that, because if you're going to say that out loud for everyone to hear, there needs to be an interpretation. So verse 28 goes on and says, if there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church. Didn't say personally, but in the church and speak to himself and God. Let's stop there. The point of this is this, is that you can write the second point down. The more the more free, the more structure needed. That's the lesson we can learn from Corinth. The more freedom or the more free, the more structure needed. And to be in an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to move uh, and to bless the entire church, not just to bless the individual, but to bless the entire church, there needs to be a structure. There needs to be leadership. There needs to be a governor over the gifts. Now, this also applies to every single thing in your life. Is that if you, if you want to, in, in your family, create an atmosphere where your children can experience freedom, they can't have complete freedom because that's anarchy. Okay, you can give them parameters and say, in this, in this time period, you can do one, two, or three things. You can't just do anything you want to. You can't just go to your room, shut the door, and go anywhere on the Internet you want to. I mean, that is, is completely dangerous for kids. But you can say, after you do your homework, after you clean the dishes, for the next hour and a half, you can watch this TV show, or you can go on the computer, you can go outside and play, whatever the case is. Within the freedom, there has to be a structure. Within, for there to be true freedom that blesses the whole church, there has to be some level of structure, some level of government. And the problem is, gifted people don't like government in their life. Gifted people, they say, I just want to create. I just want to, I just want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And it's very difficult for them to say that this is the schedule we need to be on. That's why gifted people sometimes have problems staying employed. Because they just got so inspired last night and they were writing poetry or painting through the night. And uh, the boss won't mind if they're 30 minutes late to work. Well, the boss does mind. They need that structure. That's why artists and, and people who create need people in their life that, that can help them harness that gift. Help create riverbanks, help create discipline, help create structure for their life. And so if you're one of those people that are gifted and talented, can I just challenge you? Don't run from structure. Don't run from government. Don't run from authority. Don't, you know, whatever is in you that just says, ah, I don't want to be restricted. I understand that whenever man is involved, authority is corrupted and, and, and there's just so many people hurt by the church. And, and I get it. I understand that. But on the other side of the coin, God can use structure in your life to help harness your gift. And like a laser, can, can help concentrate your gift and, and help your gift thrive and grow and to do great things. Here's the last thing I want you to write down. But it's really the, the thing that's in my heart today in this teaching is the more gifted, the more accountability needed. There in 
the city of Corinth was a temple to the goddess of love called Aphrodite. And there were actually full-time paid temple prostitutes that would engage in sexual relationships right there in the temple, outside the temple. It was a city that was just full of immorality. It's so interesting to me that the book of Corinth, the church of, excuse me, the book of first and second Corinthians and the church of Corinth, we learn so much because of their freedom and their diversity and their international feel and the fact that they're free in the spirit and the spirit's moving. But simultaneously, while we find so much about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are released within the church, simultaneously, we find more about sexual immorality in these books and in any other area. And you've seen it as much as I have. Where there are the gifted, often there's sexual immorality. From pro athletes who are so gifted, phys- uh, gifted physically in their, in their sport to rock musicians and song, uh, creative people, um, politicians, people who are gifted to create laws. For whatever reason, there is, an, there is often a connection from that creative earthly power also with sexual immorality. And at the same time, uh, a lot of times that unfortunately churches that are just really free in the spirit, that sometimes there can be connection with sexual immorality there. And so here it is in the church of Corinth. It's just almost unthinkable. Some of the stuff that was happening there. Um, and, and we'll just read a little bit in chapter five. First uh, Corinthians chapter five, it says it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among the pagans. So this church had a reputation for immorality that was worse than the immorality that was happening among the pagan people. And now this is just disgusting. A man has his father's wife. And you are proud. Shouldn't have you rather gone into been filled with grief and have put out your fellowship, put out of your fellowship the man who did this? And so probably someone had uh, if you want to call it an affair, but they had a sexual relationship with a stepmother. And it's so, it's so shameful to even say that here in this service or to read it in the scripture. But I wanted, I wanted us to look at that so we realized that even though we learned so much about the gifts, there was incredible immorality there. And Paul, through this letter and through his leadership, held them accountable And he said, this shouldn't be. You should not tolerate this. This is worse than what the world is even doing. And I'm holding you accountable. He said, if I was there, I would judge this matter. If I was there, I would bring rulership. I would bring rules. I would bring a judgment. You ought to cast this guy out of your fellowship for that. But yet, just kind of in this free, creative mode, uh, there was no church discipline. There was no accountability. And I want you to understand this because in your life, when you're really uh, have those time periods of your life where you're ascending, you're succeeding, you have access to more money than you've ever had. You have access to more people than you've ever had. You have recognition. Maybe your gifting is being recognized. It, It might not be something in the arts, but it might be 
in management, in business, in leadership, and it's being recognized, that's the time you need accountability in your life. Because that's when the enemy will come in and use the avenue of sexual immorality to sidetrack your life, to get your life off focus. And we read here in Corinth, we can learn that that's part of the enemy strategy. I want to invite Jonathan to, to join me up here. And I want, to, I want to pray for you today. Father, would you join me in prayer now? Father, we have looked at some passages from the scripture. And we thank you, God, that we know that Corinth told a story. Because cities tell a story. Cities have a personality. And Lord, we're part of telling the story of Hendersonville and telling the story of Goodlettsville and Gallatin and Nashville. But Lord, we're telling a story with our lives too. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would love unity. I pray, Lord, that we would love structure. Lord, I pray that we would love accountability so that you would preserve and protect those giftings you have in us. We thank you for that. We love you, Jesus. I want to pray for you in those areas. If God is talking to you about one of those areas, maybe in your life that you don't value unity, that maybe at your workplace you're a disruptive force. You're running your mouth about your boss when you need to keep your mouth shut. You're gossiping about someone else in your department and that is not the way Jesus wants you to live. That's not becoming. The Lord, the Lord wants you to put, put a trap over your mouth because unity matters. Unity matters. Some of you, maybe that there's something in you that wants to shrug off any type of authority. You, you want to shake off any type of structure. You don't want to abide by the schedule. You don't want to abide by the rules. You don't even want to park where you're supposed to park. You, you don't want to wear what you're supposed to wear. You don't want to fill out the paperwork you're supposed to fill out. And, you know, the Lord's saying this morning that this is not about your individual liberty as an American. This is about your heart. It's about your heart. And God says, listen, I can't give you more if I can't work for a little. Let me work in that. And maybe that there's some areas in your life you need to be accountable for. Maybe you have crossed the line emotionally with someone who's not your spouse. Or you've crossed the line in your heart. Or maybe that you need to put a filter over your computer because there's websites that you visit that you shouldn't visit. You know that. And God is speaking to you. God is saying it's time for accountability. It's time for structure. It's time to get someone else involved. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus. You're so great, God. Just let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Do you realize this is not Aaron speaking to you? It's the Holy Spirit of God.
Let's all stand together. Lord, we love you. I'm so grateful that Jesus loves us so much that he doesn't just point to us and say, Oh, you horrible, unaccountable people. You people that hate unity. You hate structure. You're horrible. You're bad. You're bad. You're bad. No, that's not what he says. The word of God's a mirror. And we look in the mirror and we say, yeah, that's not right, God. And then there's grace and love and forgiveness. And there's an open table. It's a table the Lord has opened. And our resurrected Jesus, who has gone before us, took those sins upon himself on the cross. And there he died. He died for our sins. It's easy to say, well, yeah, he died for our sins. But he died for our rebellion. He died for our lust. He died for our disobedience. He died for our cheating. He died for that specific thing that the Holy Spirit showed you earlier. And he took that sin upon him. And with resurrection power, he's alive today. And that's what we're here to celebrate. We're going to lean hard into his grace. Lean hard into his forgiveness. Because that's, all, that's the only way we can stand. You can't stand on your own. You can't stand by yourself. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.